Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast, officially sponsored by Running Aces Casino and Racetrack. I am your host, Steve Fredland. And hey, I got some really good feedback this week on a number of different things. And one of those was, hey, you're starting to clutter the front end of this thing with too much advertising promotion. Can you get back to how you have done it in the past and really just kind of get right into the content? And so uh, that's good stuff. I am going to do that. I'm going to share quite a bit with you at the end. Uh, and so stick around for that. We've got some huge announcements, uh, finally talking about what seminars and trainings we're going to be providing. Uh, we've got the date set, the time set for the seminar in November, which is going to include premium content from the Solve for Why Academy and the Alex Fitzgerald. We've got a monthly panel discussion with some great rec players and some email coaching. So I'm going to talk a lot about that at the end. So stay tuned for that if you want some details or just go to recpokertraining.com, which is now officially launched as well. A couple of really quick thanks. Uh, uh, those of you who I saw wearing patches and merchandise, Darren Peasley, Tony Sanchez, Brian Soja, Taylor Moss, Stacy Nelson, and thanks to the new Patreon subscribers. <clears throat> Uh, Chris Hall, Tristan Zeman, Stacey Nelson, thanks to you guys. Uh, so with that, uh, let's dig into the content and stay tuned at the end for more information about all of that stuff. So in regard to the content, uh, man, this has been a fun journey. Uh, this by far has been the uh, most time I've spent putting together an episode. I've spent hours this week uh, going back and forth on this, so it's just been great for me personally. So hopefully I can communicate this in a way that's going to make sense. You may not agree with it, but hopefully at least it makes sense, and then you can give me some feedback so I can tweak it, keep making it uh, both better strategically as well as more uh, implementable, which is really my goal. Uh, a lot of the feedback you're going to hear on this is, man, you're trying to make this too easy. Well, yes, I am. Um, uh, I recognize that we may lose some value, may leave some on the table, but for those of us who are less experienced, uh, having a strategy that's actually implementable, I think, is a huge value uh, to us. And so I'm kind of continuing to try to walk that balance between uh, making it uh, optimal in terms of expected value and um, all of those things, while also making sure that it's easy enough to understand and to implement for the everyday player. So um, we'll see how this goes. So let me know. So first of all, just a refresher, uh, we're looking at the early stage of a tournament and I've developed arranges for when there's no action before me. So it's folded around to me and on the button, I start with pocket twos and then I move, uh, I add three to that and say, okay, let's also open with suited cards where they're both at least five or higher. So that's the plus three there. And then we go to offsuit cards where they're both at least one more higher than that. So they're both at least six or higher. But I have this restriction on offsuit cards that I'll never play those unless they're both at least 10 or higher. So the button range is pocket twos and better, suited cards where they're both five and better, and offsuit cards where they're both six and better, but we're going to restrict that to tens or higher. But that approach allows me to then move as we go one off the button. Now it's pocket threes and better, suited cards where they're both eight and better, and offsuit cards where they're both uh, uh, seven and better, but we restrict that again to 10 or better. So we keep that sort of thing going. Now, based on the feedback from last week and some more thinking, uh, I am making one additional adjustment and that is in the two loosest spots, my uh, pocket twos and my pocket threes, those ranges there, 
uh, which are the button and the cutoff. I'm going to add in any other suited aces that aren't already covered. So uh, on the button, I've already got any suited cards five and higher. So I've already got ace five and higher, but I am going to add ace two, three, and four into there. And in the cutoff, I'm also going to add those small suited aces as well. So now uh, our loosest range <clears throat> is that button range of pocket twos and higher, suited uh, X5 and higher, suited aces, and any offsuit 10 or higher. Uh, and I'm going to start referring to this as the range 22. Uh, so if this is new to you, if you're just tuning in for the first time, go back and listen to the last couple episodes. This will make more sense. I know it's pretty quick if you haven't heard this before, but I don't want to be uh, too redundant for those of you who have already heard this. So I'm going to start referring to that as range 22. That's our loosest range. That's our button open range with no action in front of us. Uh, and if you follow that, I'm going to have range 33, 44, 55, all the way up to 99. And range 99 is the tightest range that we would ever have in, in this situation. Uh, that's our uh, early, in this, early in the tournament situation, under the gun, 10-handed. Uh, that's pocket nines and higher. That's where the 99 comes in. Suited uh, cards, queen or higher. So that's just going to be suited ace-queen, suited king-queen, and suited ace-king. And then offsuit, king or higher. So that's only going to be offsuit ace-king. So that's our range 99. So this is going to be the new terminology that I'm going to use forward. So I'd recommend getting familiar with this. So range 22, range 33, range 44, that sort of thing. And again, start with a pocket pair corresponding to that range ID, then add three to it to get to the minimum rank for any two suited cards, and then add one more to get to the minimum rank of any two offsuit cards. The only exceptions to this rule would be the two offsuit cards always have to be at least 10. And for range 22 and 33, include all suited aces. So spend some time getting familiar with that, uh, but hopefully you can at least reconstruct it pretty quickly uh, when I refer to something like range 55. Uh, you can pretty quickly say, okay, that's pocket fives and higher, any two suited cards eight and higher, and any two offsuit cards 10 or higher. Hopefully you'll start to get the feel uh, for that. So for me, I've been using this for the last uh, 10 tournaments or so. And, um, and I've, I've really gotten used to this, uh, and I've really come to really love uh, how easy this is to implement. And I know not everybody agrees with this, uh, but as I've grown in my comfort, I've had some great success the last couple of weeks. Uh, and I don't know how much of that is related to the opening ranges, but I felt really, really good about that. Uh, in fact, I won a, a, a $300 optimum tournament last Saturday for about $4,500. I final tabled seven of the last nine tournaments, and the last tournament I just played was a qualifier where I got through. So having some good success on the felt, I'm not trying to brag, I'm just trying to say that uh, I'm seeing uh, additional success coming uh, as I'm getting more and more comfortable with these early stage opening ranges. So hopefully it'll help your game as well. I would love to hear about it uh, if it is or if it's not. Uh, let me know what you don't like about these ranges as well. But at minimum, I think it's creating some confidence in me. So now I want to look at how to adjust these ranges if there's a limper or limpers in front of me. Uh, in future weeks, we'll look at what if there's a raise in front of me. But for now, uh, last time we covered what to do if, it's, if there's no action in front of me. And this week is really looking at if there's a limper or limpers ahead of me. Um, so uh, first, what I'm going to do in this episode is I'm going to share with you 
the original thoughts that I had. As I looked at this, I decided here's kind of what I want to do with my opening ranges and how to adjust those as if there's a limper in front of me. So I'm going to change, I'm going to share that. And then I'm going to share with you the feedback that I got. Uh, some of it's audio, some of it's written feedback that I got. And then I'm going to come back and share uh, significant adjustments I made. Uh, I really took a lot of this feedback to heart, did some more research, and made some pretty radical changes. But I wanted to share with you my initial thoughts first, because I think that's helpful for some of you to kind of hear my thought process, because uh, it's maybe a thought process that you've had as well, kind of the initial reaction, the initial thoughts to do, and then uh, how that got adjusted based on the feedback. So here were my initial thoughts uh, looking at having limpers in front of me uh, in the earliest phase of the tournament. So first thing I thought of is when a couple of limpers come into a pot early in tournaments, there are typically three ways I see it playing out. One way is that, um, that there could just be a ton of players in a limped pot. Nobody ever raises. It just gets to be five, six, seven, eight-handed limped. And I see this in probably 50 to 70% of the situations where one or two people have already limped. It just sort of, that's how it goes. Everybody's comfortable. Let's just see a flop. Sort of play Yahtzee and see who, see who gets the best flop. Uh, another way it could play out is that someone makes a mistake. Uh, somebody with a decent hand uh, raises really small and really doesn't accomplish anything. So you still end up with just as many players in the pot, maybe the small blindfolds, but um, I see this happening in 20 to 30% of the time where it's almost as many players. Uh, it's just a bit of a bigger pot. The pot maybe doubles or so, uh, but you're still seeing it six or seven ways. Uh, you'll see somebody, you know, say the blinds are 50, 100, limp, 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 and somebody goes to 200. Um, it, it's amazing, but you see this fairly often. It really doesn't accomplish anything. They're not reducing um, uh, the field by much at all. They're building a bigger pot, which maybe with the best hand, uh, but it's pretty hard to beat five or six people. So I, I determine, I consider that a mistake, but I see that happen, um, probably 20 to 30% of the time when you've already had one or two limpers and then probably 10 to 20% of the time you have somebody who makes a big raise, uh, trying to punish the limpers and just pick up the pot right there. Uh, so that's sort of how I see those things playing out. And so as I considered how I would approach this, um, I was thinking through different situations, and I was actually pretty surprised to find that my response was fairly indifferent to my position early in a tournament. And maybe this should have been my first clue that <laughs> I was on the wrong track, but that's where I landed initially, um, at least until there's further action or we have a flop. So the approach that I had settled on is where uh, I would end up raising with my tightest range, uh, which is the under-the-gun 10-handed range. So what I refer to now is my range 99. So in all situations, if it was limped to me, I would raise with my range 99. Uh, my pocket nines and better, my suited ace-queen, king-queen, and my offsuit ace-king. Um, and I would raise larger. I would maybe make it three to four big blinds plus one per limper. And then... Uh, with my loosest range, um, which I would say is my pocket twos, you know, my range 22, whatever my loosest range on the button was, I would limp with that and then just fold everything else. So I ended up with a very polarized range where if I was in my range 22, I would limp. And if I was in my range 99, I would raise regardless of where I was in the position. So it actually opened up how many more hands I would play uh, in earlier position because my uh, loosest range was now being applied there. Um, so that, that's sort of how I thought, I thought, well, that's an easy way to implement it. 
Um, and then if, obviously if I'm outside of the range 22, I would just go ahead and still fold. So under this approach, I, I knew I was playing passively with some hands, um, and even those hands that I fully expected to be ahead. But the rationale was that I would trade some of that pre-flop equity, say with pocket sevens, for some implied odds. So if I connect with a flop in a huge multi-way pot with less experienced players, if I can flop a set with pocket sevens, or if I can flop a straight or a two pair or a big draw with queen jack suited, I could potentially take this huge pot uh, in exchange for giving up uh, some pre-flop equity. Uh, and if I don't connect, I just surrender a hand. Um, and I was comfortable with this trade-off. So that was sort of my general approach there was to, in all situations, regardless of position, uh, if I had that range 99 type of hand, I would raise. And if I had the range 22 type of hand that wasn't part of the range 99, I would limp. Otherwise, I would just fold. So not polarized at all, just uh, in a very easy way to implement something if there was limpers in front of me. So that was my my original thinking. And so I took those thoughts and I sent them out to uh, those of you who are part of my feedback group. And I said, well, what do you guys think of this? And so here's the feedback that I got. And I want to start with the audio file that I received from Jonathan Little. Hello, this is Jonathan Little of PokerCoaching.com, and today's question essentially asks, how do we approach situations where people limp before us? And I write about this a decent amount in both of my small stakes books, um, Strategies for Beating Small Stakes Poker Tournaments and Strategies for Beating Small Stakes Poker Cash Games, as well as uh, my much bigger book, Mastering Small Stakes and No Limit Hold'em, which I definitely suggest you check out if these are questions that keep you up at night. So essentially, you need to figure out who the limpers are. The idea of, I am going to use this default range against all limpers is not a good way to approach poker because all limpers play differently. Some limpers will play a very tricky strategy. They will limp only with their best hands, like aces, looking to limp re-raise you. Well, clearly against these players, you don't want to raise with anything because they're going to limp re-raise you, right? You just want to limp and see a flop as cheaply as possible to have good implied odds against their likely premium hand. Then at the other end of the spectrum, you have players who limp with only their garbage. They raise all their best hands, so when they limp, they have 9-8 offsuit or 10-7 suited, right? Against these players, you don't want to necessarily raise with a tighter range than you would normally raise preflop because their range is very weak, right? You may want to raise an incredibly wide range because against that player, they're going to fold a lot before the flop. And you may find that using the same bet size against all limpers is also not ideal. Like, let's say we are playing against someone who, when they limp, they have a very strong hand every single time, and you get dealt pocket aces, well, you clearly want to raise, right? So against this player, you may want to raise very, very big, because you know they're literally never folding, right? If they have queens, they're not folding. So you could raise very big in that spot. Um, alternatively, you know, say you have a hand like pocket queens there, and you decide you want to raise. Well, maybe you want to raise to a normal amount, like a pot size raise, like you suggest. And if they re-raise you, well, you know, they just have aces and you're supposed to fold, right? So you get to essentially get very, very clear information that they have a premium hand very cheaply. Obviously, you're not trying to fold queens pre-flop, but in that scenario, you know, maybe it's the right play depending on how big they make it if they kill your implied odds. Um, however, say you're playing against someone who has a lot of 10-7 suited type hands, you don't really want to raise to an amount that doesn't price them out. And if they limp and you make it three and a half or four big blinds, well, they're getting the right price to call every time. They're not making a mistake. You always want to raise an amount that 
will allow your opponent to make a mistake. And you can say, well, I could just raise to 100 big blinds and they'd fold every time, right? But again, they're not making a mistake. So you have to find a, a raised size that will induce your opponent to call that you are happy with the fact that they are calling. And usually in that scenario, if their range is reasonable limping hands, like 10-7 suited and jack-8 suited and king-9 suited, if it's a bunch of hands like that, you should probably be making it on the larger side. If their limping range is instead a lot of garbage, like absolute trash, like 9-4 offsuit because they just have no clue what they're doing, well then in that scenario, you can be much happier making it smaller because you don't really care if they call a 9-4 offsuit. So in that spot, maybe the three and a half big blind raise is perfectly fine. Um, what this really does amount to, though, is you have to figure out what the limper strategies are. Whenever you have, whenever it folds around to you, that situation is way more simple than when people enter the pot in front of you. Because you essentially are only worrying about random hands from the players yet to act. In this scenario, you now have to worry about some sort of predefined range from the players in front of you, and you have to spend some time actively figuring that out. And I can guarantee you, if you use or try to use a very simple default strategy of I'm just going to raise my best hands and let my marginal hands, it's not going to work out so poorly, but you're definitely going to leave a lot of money on the table. Also, in my opinion, you should be raising with some of the weaker hands. Hands that are near the bottom of your limping range. In this spot, the, the hands that are the marginal hands, basically you're saying the loosest range that you had predefined, like suited aces, suited high card hands, pocket pairs, etc., you're going to want to raise with some of those. Because if you limp with only a very marginal range, well, what does that do to your range? It makes your range all marginal. And if your range is all marginal, that is going to allow your opponents to raise, or your people yet to act to raise you very aggressively and force you to fold out a lot of decent hands. Whereas if you instead raise with some of these hands, like say you do get jack-10 suited or ace-3 suited, and it goes limp, 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 and you make it a pot size raise, that's nice because it makes your raising range, not all nut hands, which you had pocket nines are better, king-queen suited and better, and ace-king offsuit, right? I mean, if, if that's your raising range, clearly that's super nut heavy and going to be very, very easy to just fold out against or call when you're getting good implied odds. It seems you're trying to use a very easy-to-implement strategy that is so easy to implement that competent players are going to be able to figure out what you're doing very quickly and they're going to be able to exploit you. You need to be much more concerned with what does the bottom part of my raising range look like when the bottom part of my limping range, and is that okay? And notice here your limping range is just really ripe for being exploited. And, well, you don't want to have a limping range that's really ripe for being exploited. You want to make sure that you are at least somewhat difficult to exploit, and as you ha currently have it set up, that is not going to happen. So what can you do to fix this? Well, again, you can limp with some of your nut hands, which I generally don't recommend, or you can limp with a stronger limping range that essentially never has to fold to a raise or rarely has to fold to a raise. And you can take some of the hands at the bottom of your current limping range and add them to your raising range essentially as semi-bluffs. And I think that will make your raising range a little bit weaker, which will get you more calls, which is fine. And it'll also make your limping range stronger, which will make you harder to exploit. So that's my suggestion here. Hope you enjoyed it. Again, you can... I have many, many, many pages written about how to play against limpers, and it really is not as simple as a one-page outline of a strategy. You can check that out at Mastering, or in the, my book, Mastering Small Stakes No Limit Hold'em at jonathanlittlepoker.com slash mastering. Good luck in your games, and I'll talk to you next time. Okay, as always, thank you, Jonathan, for your thoughts. Uh, he's definitely very straightforward, and I love that he's very um, forthright in his thinking. 
Um, I think that's helped me grow as a player for sure. I think there's still an element where um, this this podcast and those of you who are listening generally are folks that are playing bar leagues, home leagues, uh, $30 tournaments, $50 tournaments, uh, maybe up to $1,100 tournaments at most. That's generally this target audience. So I think, you know, we're talking about different sort of folks. We're talking about uh, those of us who don't have, you know, 30 hours a week to really think uh, uh, think about the game and to develop ranges that are perfectly optimal. So I think Jonathan's feedback is very good. I think for what I'm trying to do for at least me is balance uh, perfection and optimization with ease of implementation. So when he says, it seems like what you're trying to do is make a very complicated game easy, uh, I agree. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. But I acknowledge that it's much more complicated. But for me, what I need is I need a uh, an easy-to-implement strategy uh, at least uh, to start with. And then as I get further and further into this thing, I can sort of tweak and adjust and change. I think for me, uh, in my learning style, if, if it's just too complicated, if it's just too much right away, if it's too difficult to memorize and to apply, if there's too many considerations, uh, for me, I tend to check out of those situations rather than lean into those situations. So if you're the kind of person that really wants to lean in and get that perfect strategy right away, uh, there might be some better approaches. But for those of us who are saying, I just want to start becoming a better decision maker and have a general construct, I think this approach is going to suit you well, um, uh, at least as a starting point, and then we'll adjust as time goes by. So, uh, but, but that feedback from Jonathan is fantastic. I love his stuff. Uh, I've learned a ton from him. So uh, hopefully he'll continue to, uh, to encourage us and to give us insight. And he's got a lot of great stuff out there, so feel free to check any of that stuff out. Another pro who was willing to give me feedback on this was Kenna James, who's a super encouraging guy. We've interviewed him in the past. I recommend going back and listening to that. And Kenna said, I think your approach, uh, raising limp range and strategy, is basically correct. You may consider keeping a few premium combos, such as uh, Broadway uh, suited or ace-queen suited, ace-king suited, uh, those sorts of things, for limping in an attempt to set up a back raise on a late position squeezer. So that was Ken's thoughts uh, on that. I think um, I think what he's doing is meeting where I'm at. Uh, he recognizes that I'm, I'm sort of trying to make this simple. Uh, and so he thought, well, instead of being so polarized or so, um, I guess, predictable here, uh, where I'm saying, okay, I'm going to raise my premiums and then limp with the rest, he's recommending, well, maybe uh, move some of those premiums to limps so I'm not as uh, predictable there as well. So he's not necessarily recommending a polarized range as much as he's saying, uh, don't be too predictable, don't be too exploitable there, at least make people uh, give you credit for limping behind that you potentially could be limping with a monster or give you an opportunity if, if you think there's going to be some action behind you, people raising, uh, give yourself an opportunity to re-raise them and take up, uh, pick up a very nice pot uh, with your hand. So I think that's where Kenneth's coming from. So thanks, Kenneth. Appreciate your feedback as always. I also got some written feedback from John Somsky. Uh, John has been on a nice uh, run on the felt and uh, and playing really well. Uh, John says, facing a limper, my default would be to play about the same range that I would open. I'd be more likely to limp behind with small pairs and suited cards because they are straightforward to play in a multi-way pot. I'd be more likely to raise with big pairs and big unsuited cards because they will have a larger share of equity in facing fewer opponents. However, this is the place where exploitative play can be used. If the table is folding too much, you can raise more often. If they are calling too much, you can raise larger, but only with the strongest part of your range, and then limp behind with the other portions of your range. 
Of course, it goes without saying that you need to tread lightly in multi-way pots and make sure you aren't giving away chips with mediocre holdings. I may have done this upon uh, <laughs> I may have done this upon more than one occasion, John says. Uh, John, good stuff. Thank you so much. Mike Engelhopt says, I don't really have a whole lot to add here. I think this looks really, really, really good. I, I like the ranges and I like the raise size. However, if it's super early stage one and we are really deep, I'd maybe even go four to five big blinds plus one for each limper because it really will be a call fest even at three and a half big blinds plus one. And uh, thanks, Mike. Appreciate that. Mike is one of those great thinkers out there that I love tapping his brain. Uh, next, I want to hear from Rob Washam. Uh, Rob submitted some audio. Uh, Rob is another just a f- great, great guy, great player. Uh, enjoy him a lot. So here's what Rob had to say. Okay, Steve, here's some things I was thinking about. Uh, the first thing I would consider when determining how to proceed when is limped in front of me is the range of hands my most common opponents will limp with. This would normally be a capped range, as even the tightest players will raise with aces, kings, queens, and ace-king. If you take the premium holdings out of the range, you will find that your normal pre-flop open raising range will do quite well. For example, if we give a limper under the gun a 29% range excluding the top 4% of hands that we expect them to raise, you have 68% equity with your open range from under the gun plus 1. Opponents who limp may have even a wider range than this. My first thought would be to continue to raise with your entire pre-flop range, regardless of limps in front. The only thing you would do differently is your pre-flop raise size. I like 2.5 to 3.5 big blinds, plus one big blind for each limper. Then, as the limpers come in later positions and your pre-flop range expands, you can employ a raise limp strategy. Rather than using a linear range where you raise your best hands, limp your middling strength hands, and fold your worst hands, I propose raising with a polarized range. You raise the top and bottom of your range and limp the middle part of your range. By raising with the top and bottom of your range, you will have an easier decision when 3-bet. With the top of your range, you will be able to 4-bet or call, and with the bottom of your range, it is an easy fold. By limping the middle of your range, you have hands with a good chance of flopping well without the risk of facing a 3-bet. Of course, as in everything in poker, this depends. If you have an aggressive opponent behind you with a tendency to punish limpers, you may want to fold the middle of your range instead of calling. I'm anxious to hear the thoughts of the pros and other rec players. There are so many approaches to these situations. Good luck on your journey, and I look forward to each week to hear the next part of your developing strategy. See you next time. All right, Rob, thanks so much for that. I appreciate you. Uh, Tristan Zeman, uh, also part of Rec, Rec Poker Nation, uh, he says, I like the approach. Uh, in early stages, even with big hands, it's hard to rake in a lot of chips unless someone really overvalues their hand or also has a big hand. Knowing how to outplay players post-flop will give you a huge edge in the tournament. In reality, early on, there may, be, there may be no pre-flop equity because nobody is folding in some games, lol. Let's be honest. In the dailies, I've seen people bet 10% of a starting stack and still have 80% of the table call. Once there is one caller, players think they now have all the odds to call, which is also maybe correct, especially with a pocket pair. With that said, I'd like to consider position as well. Personally, I like to play hands weaker from early position and more aggressive in later position. 
This may be incorrect. However, I've scooped up huge pots by limp calling with pocket nines through pocket jacks, for example, and check raising the flop. And then Tristan sent a whole bunch of other great information, which, which was great for me to kind of go through. Uh, and just, I want to paraphrase some of those things. Uh, basically, the message was that he would like to see me, me be more polarized between actions, especially since I could become exploitable. And even more so because I do the podcast and y'all are listening to how I play. So uh, Tristan, that was really great advice. And you'll see that I, I took a lot of that into account uh, and started to apply it here. So uh, thank you all for providing feedback. I know I've gotten some other informal feedback uh, from players just in discussions at the table. Uh, this is great stuff, uh, really great information, really helpful. And as a result, uh, I decided to pretty significantly change my response to limpers in front of me primarily as an effort to balance my range with a more polarized approach. And I'm doing this, but I'm still trying to get a good trade-off between solid strategy and ease of implementation. So uh, I've, I've tried to work that into this as much as I possibly can. And note that these these are all defaults. Uh, I recognize the comments that, that a lot of people are making that everything in poker depends. It depends on stack size and your opponents and all of those things, and I totally agree. Uh, but for me, these are the defaults. Uh, it's not a GTO strategy, but it sort of has that same idea where uh, the idea is to come up with sort of a perfect quote unquote strategy, uh, which is your default, such as GTO, and then exploit where it makes sense. And that's really how I'm using this. And I'm not saying this is what you have to do in all situations, but it provides a default. And then you say, well, boy, based on uh, this guy's stack, he's more likely to shove. Or based on based on the way that this gal is playing, uh, she's more likely to three bet. Or you know, you have to take those things into account. Uh, but this is the default strategy. So um, all of this is is trying to take that into account and saying, well, here's here's what I'm going to start with. Um, and all of this is still applying during phase one of a tournament, uh, what Matt Hunt refers to as the preservation stage. So taking all of that feedback, uh, taking my initial thoughts, uh, I've built and rebuilt this many, many different times over this past week. Uh, I've stayed up way too late trying to think about this and trying to figure out a way to balance um, a good strategy with ease of implementation. And so now I've developed some principles or targets uh, that I want to use uh, when I look at uh, playing these ranges after limpers. So I'm not going on a lot of sleep. So this may or may not make sense. So uh, once again, I want your feedback on all of these things, but I'm, I'm, I guess I'm excited where this landed, at least as a starting point. So here it goes. I started really thinking about what are some principles of targets that I want to ascribe to as I'm building these ranges. And I went through it over and over again in my mind. Um, first of all, I want to have my my range that I'm playing hands in uh, be equal to those ranges that I would normally play when it's folded to me. So I want to keep the same initial range of playable hands based on my range 22 to range 99 stuff, but I want to split that range so that I am raising and limping roughly 50-50, and that raising portion, that 50% of the time that I'm raising, I want that to be polarized between the top of my range and the bottom of my range. So basically, I want to take that range and break it down so that I determine the top 25% of the range, and I'm going to raise with that, the bottom 25% of the range, and raise with that, and then that middle 50%, I want to limp behind with that. 
So that's the first principle I had. Um, and as I mentioned, the second principle is really keeping that same range. I don't want to come up with a whole new spectrum of ranges that I have to adjust based on uh, if there's limping in front of me. And I think that works. I think I can keep the same ranges there, that range 22 being my loosest range, the range 99 being my tightest range. And then the third principle is I want to keep the implementation as simple as possible. So I guess determining that middle 50%, it could be really sort of nuance and make it difficult to know which hands are in, which hands are out by default. Uh, but I want to try to make that as simple as possible. So I spent a lot of time on this, uh, but using these targets, uh, here's what I've developed. Uh, this includes uh, the total percentage of hands that are played and then the distribution of those hands by the top hands to raise with, the middle hands to limp with, and the bottom hands to raise with. So if I just take these, I'll take these one by one, and then at the end, I'm, I'm hopefully going to give you a pretty simple way to think about how to break this range down. So uh, I want to give you some of the numbers behind this so you kind of know uh, the construction of this. Um, let's start with uh, considering range 22. This is my pocket, pocket twos and better uh, suited uh, cards where they're both five or better, any suited aces, and any offsuit cards where the rank is both 10 or higher. This is 390 hands or about 29% of all potential opening hands. So I, I have 29% of all hands is in my range on the button with range 22. And the approach here is that uh, the way I'm going to break this down is if, if it's in range 77, okay, so if in my hand is in the range 77, I'm going to raise, okay, that's about 12% of the time. If it's not in range 77, but it's in range 44, then I'm going to limp. That's about 10% of hands. And if it's not in range 44, but it's still in range 22, then I'm going to raise. That's about 7%. And if it's not within range 22, then I'm going to fold like I normally would have before. So this is getting to that 29% of hands that I'm going to play still, uh, but I end up with uh, raising with my top hands 40% of that time I'm in the range, raising with my bottom hands 23% of the time, and limping 35% of the time. So this one is a little bit more raise heavy. I'm on the button. I'm okay with that. So I'm going to be raising about 64% of the time and limping about 36% of the time, somewhere in that ballpark. And so now, so so on the I think about the, the range 22, I have to think about range 77 and range 44, as well to help me split my range, but I'm still using those same eight ranges I had before. It's a little more complex, I understand, but I haven't defined any new ranges, just how to apply those. And when I move to, to range 33, I'm gonna uh, be in that spot, so I'm now in the cutoff, where if it was folded to me, I would just say if it's in range 33, I'm going to, head, going to go ahead and raise. Now what I do is I say, okay, if it's in range 88 with a limper in front of me, I'm going to raise. If it's not, but if it's in range 55, I'm going to limp. If not, but it's in range 33, I'm going to raise. If it's not in range 33, then I'm going to fold. And this will end up with the uh, still playing about 26% of my hands, which is my range 33 percentage. And my split is going to be uh, raising about 54% of the time and limping 46% of the time. And the time that I'm raising is pretty split. Um, about 29% of the time that I'm playing, I'm raising with my top hands, 25% I'm raising with the bottom hands. So that's pretty evenly split. Uh, and then I'm going to go to my range 44. 
Here I'm going to say, uh, if I'm in that spot where I'm considering range 44, which is two off the button, now I'm going to ask myself, is this in range 99? If so, I'm going to raise. If not, but it's in range 66, I'm going to limp. And if not, if it's in range 44, I'm going to fold. Uh, and this is also split pretty well. Here I'm going to be raising about 42% of the hands I play and limping about 58% of the hands that I play. And again, if you want to make this 50-50, you can, but you have to uh, start using ranges that I haven't already predefined. So all of this, I'm still trying to use just those eight ranges that I've already defined to try to make it easy. So I keep moving. And uh, I'll stop using the numbers here. Just know that they're pretty well split. Uh, if I'm in a range 55 spot, I'm going to raise if it's range 99. I'm going to limp if it's, raise, if it's range 77. I'm going to raise if it's range 55. Uh, and I guess here the splits are 23% raising with the top, 38% limping, 39% raising with the bottom side. Range 66. Now remember, we only go up to range 99, so I can't just keep going higher. Here, if I'm in the spot where I would consider range 66, uh, I'm going to raise with range 99. I'm going to limp with range 88, and I'm going to raise with range 66. Now this one is skewed a bit more toward raising uh, with the bottom part of my range here. So in this case, if I think about all the hands I'm going to play, I'm gonna play about 18% of the hands, I'll end up, uh, when I play those hands, I'm gonna raise with the top part about 26%, limp only 18%, and raise with the bottom part 56%. So it's a little bit uh, raise heavy and it's a little bit bottom portion heavy. So that might be one area to adjust in the future. But then as I get to where I would normally uh, play ranges 77, 88, and 99, the first three early positions, uh, here uh, I'm just going to raise with my entire range. They're just too strong. Uh, it doesn't make sense to actually have a polarized range there because there's just nothing really in the middle. So. Uh, the only things I really need to split are ranges 22 to 66, uh, ranges 77 to 99. If I'm going to raise anyway, if there was no action, I'm also going to raise over limpers. So I know that's a lot. You can go back. I'll have this written out at some point too, maybe in a blog post or something. Uh, you can always reach out to me. I can send it to you as well. Uh, but um, that's that's sort of the uh, the construct behind it. Uh, but how can we think about this even more in a memorable, actionable way? Uh, again, uh, we have eight ranges to open when there's no action in front of us, ranges 22 to 99. And again, these are covered in detail earlier. Uh, and they are, I think, pretty straightforward and related to each other. Once you kind of get used to what's in my range 55 spot, what's in my range 77 spot, I think they're they're pretty easy to actually remember. So the question for today is figuring out what do we do with these ranges when there's at least one limper in front of us? Um, so the keys here to remember are we will still play the same ranges. It might be a limp or it might be a raise, but we will still play these same ranges and not add anything new or take anything away. So we still have that sort of binary fold or play decision. Uh, but when there is a limper or limpers, uh, we now need to know the two other levels in order to have a polarized approach to raising or limping. And the first one will be the range that we raise with. In other words, this is going to help us to find the top of our range. And this is the range that's five above the base range. So for example, if the base range is range 33, then the strong raising range is range 88. If it's not in the strong raising range, 
Then we consider if the hand is in the limping range, which is two higher than the base range. So in this case, the limping range is range 55. So if the hand is in this range and it wasn't in range 88, then it's a limp. Otherwise, the weak raising range starts at the base range, uh, in this case, which is range 33. So if the hand is not in the strong raising range, nor it's in the limping range, but it's in the base range, we will also raise this hand over limpers. So for other ranges, uh, let's say, let's look at the uh, range 22. If there are limpers, our strong raising range is now range 77, it's five higher, and our limping range is range 44, it's two higher. Okay, so, uh, and then if we're still in range 22 uh, after that, then we would raise that again. Uh, if our range, if we're in range 44, so let's say we're in the hijack, our strong ranging range is range 99. Our limping range is range 66, and our weak raising range is 44. Uh, and then as we go forward, we know that range 99 is as high as we can get. So if we move to range 55, we add 5, so our raising range is range 1010, but which we don't have. So our, our uh, high raising range is range 99, our limping range is range 77, and the range 55 uh, becomes our uh, raising low end range. And then range 66, we use range 99, 88, and 66. And then after that, uh, we're going to raise with anything in ranges 77, 88, and 99. So um, I think the, the way to approach this mentally is before the cards are dealt, uh, we identify our base playing opening range. This is something that we should be doing already. Ready, ready. So, so, so if I'm on the button, I know, okay, range 2. two. So I'm going to be opening here, if it's folded to me, with pocket twos and better, suited cards five and better, uh, ace x suited, and unsuited cards ten or higher. So I've already got that in my head. Now once there's a limper, we immediately ask if our hand is in the strong raising range. So we've already known, like if our hand is outside of that range 22, we already know we're folding. It doesn't change anything if there's a limper in front of us. If we're going to fold before, we'll fold now unless we see something that, you know, outside of the, the general structure. Uh, but so we don't have any more thinking to do if it's outside of that range, just we're going to pitch it regardless. I don't care what the action is. If there is a limper in front and we are inside of range 22, now we have to ask ourselves a couple of more questions. First of all, we immediately ask if our hand is in the strong raising range which is five ranges higher than what we're going to play. So in this case, range 22, we're going to say, oh, okay, there's a limper. Is this in range 77? If so, we should plan on raising and just start thinking about the amount that we're going to raise. If it's not, then we ask ourselves if our hand is in the limp behind range, which is two ranges higher. So in this case, we say, oh, it's not in range 77. Is it in range 44? If the answer is yes, then we should plan to limp behind. If not, then we know that it's in our weak raising range and we should plan to raise there as well. Now, if there's a raise before us, this is something that we're going to have to tackle next week. Uh, for now, we're only looking at ranges with no action before us and now uh, specifically this week when there's limps in front of us. Okay, so let's look at one specific example. Let's say that we're in the hijack, uh, which is uh, two off of the button. Okay, so you have the button, you have the cutoff, and then you have the hijack. 
And we have looked down and we see King Jack of Diamonds. So uh, we, we look at that and we say, okay, uh, well, our, our default range is range 44. Oh, you know, pocket twos on the button, threes, four. We're range 44. So before the action even starts, we can say, where does King Jack of Diamonds fall in that? Are we in range 44? We say, well, range 44 uh, includes any two suited cards that are both seven or higher. So yes, we are clearly in range 44. So we plan on raising this pot if there is no action to us. Okay, so uh, that's fine. And now someone limps in front of us. We say, oh, okay, well, what do we do now? Well, range 44, the high end range is range 99. So we ask ourselves, is this hand in the strong raising range? Is this in range 99? Well, we know that range 99 includes any two suited cards that are both queen or higher. So king jack of diamonds is not in range 99. So this is not in the strong raising range. So then we have to say, well, is it in the limp behind range, which we know is going to be too higher than where we're currently at, so range 66. And we know that range 66 includes any two suited cards that are both nine or higher. So king jack of diamonds falls into this range for sure. So we are going to limp behind on the, on the uh, hijack with king jack of diamonds. Now, remember, if this was not limped, we would open with this hand. We would raise with this hand. But since there was a limper in front of us, we've decided that this is a limp behind strategy that we're going to use. So I'm going to continue to look at this uh, from both a strategy side to make sure that there aren't any major holes. I'm counting on some of you to discover those as well. And also look to continue to simplify this with ease of communication. Things like adding, you know, range 22 and some of those terminology things, uh, the, the high raising range, the low raising range, some of those things just to continue to make this more clear. Uh, as you all know, I'm learning as we go here. I'm, uh, you've got a front row seat to my process of trying to figure this out. Uh, I'm being very transparent. I'm being completely honest with what I'm playing and uh, what I'm learning. So uh, hopefully this is helpful to actually hear the process and not just the end result. And then uh, I, I welcome you guys to have a, a role in helping me figure this out and make it even better than it is. But I want to be able to continue to uh, be more quickly able to identify hands that are folds, limps, and raises in these spot. And I also am interested to see what happens when I start looking at what do I do when there's a raise in front of me? What do I do with my three betting ranges? Um, and then once I have all of that big picture, I think then I can really put together some terminology and some, some hopefully some uh, quick ways to determine the action based on ranges, uh, whether it's uh, folded or limped or raised in front of me. So it'll be interesting to see how this goes. Uh, I haven't done any pre-work on this, so uh, this next week is, is going to be an interesting one for sure. Uh, I welcome all of you guys to send me your input, whether it's solicited or not, on what you would do uh, with these ranges um, if there's a raise in front of you. I would love to hear that as well. Uh, hang on here uh, in a little bit. I'm going to go into some more detail if you want, but I do want to thank you for joining me on this journey. Uh, it's definitely an interesting effort to take something that's so complex and try to bring it to something uh, with a more simple foundation of default plays. Uh, and I do agree, again, that there's a ton of value lurking on the adjustments, but having a core strategy that we can work with and adjust as we go uh, is critical for my personal growth as a player. Uh, so now uh, a few things that I want to share. Uh, that's 
that's the end of the content. If you want to check out here, that's fine. But I do want to share uh, some of the rec poker training opportunities, some of our partnerships that we've we've established. Uh, I'm really excited about where this is going here. But uh, that's the end of the content. So feel free to shut her off if you want there. Um, but uh, here's some of the announcements. Uh, I have finalized the offerings of Rec Poker Training. Uh, you can go to recpokertraining.com uh, at least for November. We have a ton of ideas uh, on things that we could do, uh, both public events and private events, but uh, we had to finalize the offerings for November to try to make sure that we can manage it all, make sure that whatever we did uh, was a good product. Uh, we've also finalized the costs on these things. So you can go to recpokertraining.com uh, and you can also see uh, the different tiers of support and what you get out at patreon.com slash recpoker. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash recpoker. And that's where you can actually support us and pay for uh, the different ongoing offerings. Um, one of the, one of the questions that we get before I get into some of the details, one of the questions I've gotten more than anything the last week is, uh, you know, there's a ton of training stuff out there. There's people that are doing it. There's training sites, there's videos, uh, what differentiates rec poker from other training options. And I have five, five things that I would say differentiate us a little bit. Um, First of all, uh, one of the things I'm trying to do is really build a training community rather than building and selling training content. There's tons of content out there from people that are way smarter than me. I'm not going to try to compete on who's got the best content, who's got the best starting ranges, who's got the best three-bet strategy. There's some amazing stuff out there, uh, and that's all available, uh, some of it for pay, some of it for free, uh, but uh, I'm not going to try to compete on that level. What I'm trying to do is rather than create a situation where you're just buying buying content and learning it by yourself. Um, I believe that the greatest learning comes from either trying to teach it yourself or from uh, talking with others and sharing that and wrestling with ideas. And what do you think of this? And what do you think of that? And bringing multiple perspectives into the conversation. I think that's where the learning happens. And I think that's the type of community that I'm trying, trying to create with Rec Poker, kind of trying to create the Rec Poker Nation, uh, which is more than just people who are uh, subscribed to something. It's, it's, it's a group of people that are trying to learn the game together and are willing to wrestle with stuff together. So that's one of the things that uh, I'm trying to do here to differentiate myself from others. Secondly is creating interactive opportunities. Uh, I think some of the places out there do that, but I really want to create uh, space, create those environments where we can be interactive, where you and I can chat one-on-one, -on -one, whether through email or live, where we can get groups of people together, where we can build relationships, where we're going to ask questions. Uh, we move from just becoming consumers of information to interactive, where we are, we are both consumer and producer, every one of us uh, in those interactive sections. Uh, the third thing I would say is really trying to be accessible and to have personal contact with as many people as I can and with other people that are becoming partners with Rec Poker. Uh, really not trying to make this uh, a teacher-student model. Uh, first of all, uh, like I said, that's not really what I, I feel like my strength is and my role is. Uh, but I do think I'm building these relationships with a ton of different partners. Uh, it's amazing to me the people that are giving me time, people that have given me unlimited access to their information. And I want to uh, sort of be a conduit between all of that information and you guys out there. I want to be accessible. And as you, if you have questions, I want to be able to say, well, man, I came across this in Jonathan Little stuff or Matt 
Berkey stuff or Alex Fitzgerald stuff or the GTO range builder. And here's what I found out, or here's a link to their stuff. And, and I want to be able to um, be that conduit and be accessible and actually have personal contact, which is something you can't really do at the, at most of the bigger sites. The fourth thing is something I mentioned, I guess, already is really being able to uh, not just communicate a single perspective. Here's what I think about GTO or exploitative or opening ranges. But ideally, I want to take all of these different providers, curate their content, see what's the best of, who's putting stuff out there, be able to bring that down and say, here's, here's um, uh, I guess, a philosophy or here's something that represents a number of different perspectives. And here's the pros and the cons of each. And to be able to give that to you guys so that you can sort of weed through what's best for you rather than saying, well, I'm going to, I'm going to chain chain myself to this particular player and I'm going to do everything that they teach me to do. Maybe that, that works for you. Maybe that doesn't. But I think there's more value in understanding the different perspectives and evaluating those in sort of an unbiased way. And then finally... Uh, what really differentiates what I'm trying to do is I'm really trying to gear this toward the lower stake recreational player. Uh, you hear some people say uh, that recreational players are those who are playing anything under a $5,000 buy-in. Well, I guess that's maybe true. Uh, well, I'm looking at really the pure recreational player, meaning those people that are playing once a month, maybe only, maybe once a week, maybe playing the $30 buy-ins, maybe have never been to a casino, maybe are stretching themselves and playing a $300 buy-in, or maybe going to Vegas for the first time. Uh, those are the type of players that I, I think are, are my target audience that I want to build community with, uh, and hopefully that's you guys. Uh, I know we have a number of players that are at higher levels uh, that are that are listening to this and hopefully getting some good information. Uh, but really my target and what I'm going to keep gearing everything toward are those folks that are playing in the bars and at homes and the small weekly tournaments uh, up to maybe you know a couple hundred dollars. That's my target. So I think that's really a differentiator. Uh, most of the training sites and people out there aren't going to target you guys uh, that are in that market because the money's just not there. You're not going to be paying $200 to $800 an hour for coaching. You're not going to be play, paying thousands of dollars for an annual subscription. Uh, the money's just not there. So it doesn't make sense for them to really target you guys. But where, what I can do is I can work with them. I uh, most of Many of them have given me free access to all their stuff so I can have that content, but then I can curate that and bring that uh, down uh, and, and bring it uh, to things that are applicable to those of us who are playing the smaller buy-in weekly tournaments, the bar leagues, the home games, that sort of thing. So that's really uh, a long way of saying these are the things that differentiate what I'm trying to do from some of the other sites. So I'd love your feedback on that. Now, uh, initial products and services. Here's some of the things that we're going to be offering here. First of all, um, on a standalone basis, uh, I'm going to be having two seminars in November. They're both going to be on the same day, Saturday, November 10th. One at eight in the morning and one at eleven or at noon. Sorry, eight in the morning and at noon. Each one is three hours long. So the first one will run eight to eleven. Second one will run noon to three. They're both going to be held at a hotel in Lionel Lakes. Uh, I've got a conference room set up, so we've got the audio, the visual. It's set up for about 30 people. I want to keep this fairly small, so uh, I guess space is limited depending on how much uh, in how much. Uh, uh, interest there is, but Lionel Lakes, Minnesota, Saturday, November 10th, 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. and also noon to 3 p.m. And I'm really looking at this seminar is really about how do we approach tournaments. Uh, and so I'm going to be having a video shown by Matt Hunt, 
uh, from the Solve for Why Academy. It's about a 40-minute video called The Anatomy of an MTT. I found it fascinating, fantastic. It'll be, lead to great discussion. So we'll show that. I also have a list uh, that was part of a presentation that Alex Assassinato Fitzgerald shared with me. We're just going to look at his list of key considerations and talk about those things. And then we're going to close it out with part one of the Poker Out Loud series that Solve for Y Academy put together where they have these different pros that are playing in a, in a cash game, but they're wearing headphones and they're talking about their action before they take the action. And I think it was super fascinating. So uh, limited to 30 people and I'm going to charge $50 Fifty dollars for that three-hour session. If you are a supporter on Patreon, there's discounts available, so you can check that out as well. Otherwise, fifty bucks uh, you can pay by PayPal, and that will lock in your seat. I'm not going to lock in your seat until you've paid, uh, just because I want to make sure that uh, we get the folks in there that are really going to plan on attend. Uh, So let me know if you have any questions on that. You can reach out to me at Steve at RecPokerTraining.com or use my other email address, stevefredland at gmail.com. And with those seminars now, I'm I'm just going to offer two in November, on November 10th, but I'm willing to do those seminars for you or your home group. Uh, If you've got a a group of people that you want me to come in and do that seminar and show those videos, I'm willing to talk to you about that. I would love to do private groups like that because a lot of you already know each other. You can talk about in the context of the games that you play. So willing to do that as well. These are just the only two for November that I want to plan on being open to the public. Another thing that is open to the public is uh, something I want to start. We're going to do one in November. Um, and then we'll just kind of see how that goes. We don't have a date set for this yet, but I'm going to be doing a player panel Q&A. So I'm going to get a couple uh, really high-level recreational players, maybe a pro, we'll see. Uh, but um, we're going to do this where it's just an open two-hour Q&A. Uh, you're, who's ever going to be there can, can submit questions in advance, and I'll compile those for the panelists. Otherwise, we'll just do it more live, more back and forth uh, with them. Uh, so I'm excited about that. I'm going to charge just 20 bucks for this. We're going to try to do it both uh, where you could do it live, but also just online. So you can just log in for 20 bucks, see that panel. Uh, but also, if you are part of um, a Patreon package, uh, this might be covered for free if you're supporting at a certain level there. So you can check out the level. And this might just be an add-on for those of you who are already supporting uh, what we're doing on Patreon. Uh, another thing that we're going to be doing is um, doing more uh, looking at data and analytics and reporting. Uh, and for those of you who know who I am, uh, my history is in uh, analytics. I'm an actuary by trade. I've done capital markets hedging, started some programs, run some programs, uh, do workforce analytics, looking at getting insights from data from an HR workforce perspective. So analytics is what I do. And I love this stuff. And I've, uh, gotten a number of insights about my own game from really scouring the data and understanding the data. So, uh, I know some of you aren't really into this, but for those of you who aren't even into this, what uh, you'd get from supporting on Patreon is every month I would give you a report that would just show uh, some of the basic stats of everybody who's been submitting data. So sort of our rec poker nation stats to give you an idea of what's the end the money percentage? What's the ROI? What are the buy-ins and payouts and profits? And how often do people cash? That sort of thing. Uh, I think that could be helpful. Even if you're not really a big numbers geek, you might be able to draw some inferences there and just kind of know how am I doing relative to Rec Poker Nation? Uh, But if you want to get into it more deeply, 
I, I would invite you as part of uh, a Patreon supporter at certain levels that you can submit your data to me. I would send you a very easy template to fill out, just a few columns of data where you would just for every tournament uh, enter that information in. Uh, you get it back to me. So then I have your personal data, which I can combine with the broader data. And I keep your personal data confidential. It's going to be part of the aggregate data, but uh, nobody else is going to see your personal results other than you. But what I can do is then uh, look at your data compared to the to the uh, to the aggregate data. I can look at trends uh, over time. I look at your currently current monthly results, and then every quarter I can dig in more deeply and get you some more insights around um, how you and the group are doing in terms of you know qualifiers versus tournaments, home games versus casino uh, by buy-in amount. You can look at initial buy-ins versus rebuy success, uh, earlier late start times. There's a number of things that we can look at. Um, that I can do as part of uh, you being part of that program. Uh, and so if minimum, I think a number of people I talk to are saying, yeah, I know I should track results, but I just don't. This might give you a good way to start doing that, where every month you can just record your stuff, send it to me, and then I will have it in a historical database. And um, and I'm even available, you know, if you want to do some special sort of analysis on your data, I can do that as long as I have the data. So happy to do that as well. Uh, another thing that I'm offering is email coaching with myself, where uh, if you subscribe to this on Patreon, uh, I will give you up to at least one hour every week uh, corresponding with you back and forth, either by email or we'll have a shared document or something. And I can share with you uh, the insights that I have had uh, from learning this game, but also I can uh I can grab the insights that I've gotten from other players. I can share links to other resources with you based on what I know is available. Uh, and so that email coaching uh, is is really cheap when you think about an hourly rate. I mean, it's it's I'll probably have to increase it uh, as we go forward. But initially, I want to launch it this way. Uh, it's just nothing compared to what you normally get. Um, and I think I can add a ton of value. And again, it's a more interactive, personal sort of back and forth uh, thing that you can get with that. So uh, you can take a look at that. So with that, um, now let's talk about uh, how do you get some of these things. Now, I mentioned some of them, like the seminars are kind of a one-off thing. Um, but if you want to become a regular supporter of Rec Poker Training or Rec Poker in general, uh, you go to patreon.com slash rec poker. And I've got these different tiers out here, but I want to run through them here uh, in terms of how much, what benefits you get for each level of monthly subscription. So if you want to support, you can support this for as little as $1 a month. Uh, all of it's awesome. I appreciate all the support, all the encouragement, uh, as I'm trying to have more and more time in my life to dedicate to learning and sharing and teaching and building a poker community, uh, the more support I get, the more time I can free up to do that. It's just the way uh, that it works because there's less income generating activities that I have to find elsewhere. So uh, your support uh, is is uh, is helping uh, to create more and more content that way. So you can do it for as little as a dollar a month. If you do support at a $5 level, we'll call that the bronze tier. At this level, uh, I'm going to support you on the podcast for uh, as soon as you become a new supporter. Uh, you'll also get uh, free access to the monthly consolidated report. So that's what I mentioned about where I'll share with you. Uh, here's where the whole Rec Poker Nation is in terms of uh, in the money percentage and ROI and some of those basic stats like that. And then you'd also get a 5% discount on any study groups or seminars, whether live or online, that we do. At the $20 level, that's what I refer to as the silver level, 
Uh, you're going to get anything that you received from the bronze level. So you'll get the thank you, you'll get the monthly consolidated reports, and you'll get a discount. Uh, but now here at this level, we'll increase that discount to 10% on any study groups and seminars. But at this level, you'll also get the quarterly analytics for both uh, yourself as well as the combined data, uh, which obviously means that you'll have access to be able to submit all of your data for reporting and analytics. And I'll you know give you uh, those reports historically, uh, ongoing monthly, all of those sorts of things. You'll get, you can send me your data uh, and then I will give you uh, results of your data as well as the anal as well as the group, and we'll also do that monthly as well as sort of a quarterly deeper analytics. You'll have access to all of that stuff, and then also at the twenty dollars silver level, you get live access to that player panel Q and A. So the date's not been set by that, but we'll do that at least once a month. The charge is twenty dollars if you're not a silver level member or higher, uh, but uh, you'll get that free if you are at the silver level or higher. And if we do multiple of those in a month, uh, you get access to all of them. So that's the plan. I think they're going to be really well received, but we're going to do one and see how it goes to start with. The next level on Patreon is $60 a month. We'll call that our gold level. And at this level, you get all the benefits of the prior. So you'll get the thank you. You'll get the monthly consolidated reports. You'll be able to submit your data. You'll get the quarterly analytics for both yourself and all of the others. You'll get live access to any player panel Q&As we do. Uh, you'll also get a discount on study groups and seminars. And here we'll increase that to 20% off any study groups and seminars. And then at this $60 level, you'll get the one-on-one -on -one email coaching. So it's an another $40 a month above the silver level. And for $40 a month, you get about an hour of per week of my coaching. So it ends up being about 10 bucks an hour of my time to give you some email coaching. We'll go back and forth and share what I can. So if you're interested in that email coaching, uh, it's at the $60 level that you get that in addition to all of the other benefits. And then the final level out on Patreon is out on Patreon is a hundred dollar platinum level. You get all the stuff that we've already talked about before. So you get uh, you'll get the uh, the thank you, the monthly consolidated reports. You can send me your data. You get the quarterly analytics, live access to the player panels. Uh, you also get that one on one email coaching. And at this stage, at the hundred dollars, you get free access to any of the study groups, any of the seminars, whether they're live or online. So if you pay a hundred bucks a month, you get all the stuff we talked about. Any of the seminars, you can register for free. You still have to register because you have to be able to hold your spot. But for example, this $50 seminar that we're doing, that would be free uh, at the $100 a month level. So, you know, depending on how much you want to spend, of course, uh, how much time you have to, to uh, put into this, I think these are very reasonable. I think these are rates that are going to have to go up in the future. Uh, but if you're into those things, by the time the rates go up, you're going to be grandfathered into whatever benefits uh, I've already promised you. So I think there's a lot of great options. We'll add more as we get rolling based on your feedback, based on what you'd like to see. Uh, I got a ton of ideas and uh, I'm really happy to work with you or your home league or your group of friends, uh, whatever group of people you have. Whatever, whoever wants to learn this crazy game with you, uh, I'd love to do private events. We can structure it any way you want, whether it's a seminar. Uh, I can come there and I can deal cards and kind of share my thoughts as the hands are playing out. Um, whatever you guys want to do, uh, I'm happy to do that and figure out a way that works for both of us. So uh, a lot of information there. Uh, I'm pretty glad I put it at the end. That gave me more freedom to kind of talk about it at length. Uh, go to recpokertraining.com. Uh, check 
that out. Let me know if you see anything out there that looks funky or doesn't really, uh, isn't really clear. We want to clean that up, make it as good as possible. Uh, let me know if you have any comments or questions, uh, anything at all. Steve at recpokertraining.com or for now, stevefredland at gmail.com. Either one is fine. Uh, but that's it. Uh, just some final thank yous. Thanks to all of you guys who have engaged, you have listened, to have helped grow the podcast. I'm excited to see where this goes. Uh, thanks to all of my friends, the, the Rec Poker Nation out there. Uh, you guys are awesome. Thanks to Running Aces for supporting the podcast uh, and being our official sponsor. Uh, man, I would love it again if you would like, comment, rate, review, subscribe, tell others about the podcast. Uh, go to patreon.com slash recpoker to see what we're doing to get all the details that I already talked about. If you want to wear patches, let me know. I'll get those to you. we got more and more folks doing that. Hats, sweatshirts, sweatshirts available at floptheworld.com slash recpoker. And again, as always, any feedback on anything, Facebook, Twitter, email, uh, hit me up. Uh, thanks, you guys, so much. Uh, this is quite the journey. Uh, we'll just kind of see where it keeps going. Take care. Bye-bye.